Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And last week we started into uh, the first part of James chapter 4, and uh, we're just going to actually take a couple of verses today as we continue to navigate through the book of James and uh, seek to understand what does authentic faith look like according to God's word, what does authentic faith look like. Um, I want to start, I just want to read verses 11 and 12 this morning. Um, James 4, 11 and 12, we're going to start there. It says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Fathers, we step into this. May you open our eyes and our ears that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you get uh, nothing else out of today, that is, if you uh, are sleep deprived and fall asleep in the next 10 minutes, I want you to hang on to this, okay? I want you to hang on to this. Uh, It's simply this truth. Can we get the lights brought up, please? Bring those all the way up so people can see, please. Um, The more we are aware of our own hearts the more gracious we become towards others. Okay? The more we are aware of our own hearts, the more gracious we become towards others. And we're going to unpack this. This is not not, uh, where uh, Matt decides to tell you what he thinks and then we go to Scripture to defend. This is uh, what God's Word says as we strive to understand how we're going to live it. Okay? Okay? as I was, as I was uh, preparing this, I was thinking, uh, this message is titled, Who Do You Think You Are? Okay? Who, who do you think you are? And uh, when, I, when I wrote this down, I was really saying that to myself. Okay? And it, it's something I believe every single one of us should say to each other. And uh, we're going to have some fun here in a minute. Um, I want you to, uh, actually right now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to ask them that question. Who do you think you are? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I was wrestling with this this week. 
And here's, here's what came to mind, okay? Uh, the, first, the first image that came to my mind was actually me as an 11-year-old kid. And when I was 11 years old, uh, I'd, been, I'd been helping uh, on our family's farm uh, consistently for about three years. And uh, my, my grandpa offered to help me uh, buy my first dirt bike that I could then work off, okay? So to be able to get something, he, he helped me find it, he helped me go pick it up, test it out, all these things. And so 11-year-old uh, kid, I was so excited. And I got, uh, I got a, a Honda four-stroke 100 dirt bike, and I loved that thing. Now, the rule was it had to stay at the farm because that was where it was easier to ride. And uh, I obviously couldn't ride it until I'd finished my work for the day. And then I spent the next couple of years working this dirt bike off. But I'm going to tell you what, at 11 and 12 years old, once I got the hang of this thing, I thought I was hot stuff. <laughs> really. I mean, I was, I was in my mind, I was in the motocross. Like, I could do and go anywhere. I could do wheelies. I was... I felt like I was going fast. And I'm sure it's one of those where, like, when you're on it, you feel like, man, I'm doing so well. And someone's looking at it and kind of laughing at you, you know, uh, because you're really, you're just learning. But in my mind, my goodness, if you were to ask me, who do you think you are? I was like, man, I am good. I've got this. I went as far to get magazines about motocross and dirt bikes. And I knew all the ins and outs. I thought for a moment in time that I really was something. And then you would go and actually watch a motocross, right? And all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, I'm really not that much. I, I'm, re- I'm really, like, I'm really elementary in this. So I, don't, I don't have this figured out. And the reason that came to my mind as I was thinking about and reading through the text is because when we come to Scripture And more specifically, when we come to Scripture and then we look at one another, we tend to look at ourselves with these really glorified glasses where we go, I've got this figured out. And I've arrived. Like, I'm hot stuff. That's what, I mean, really. That's what we end up kind of passively saying about ourselves or more indirectly, what we end up saying is, oh, you really don't have it figured out, do you? That's what we end up doing, where it becomes a way of us looking at other people and starting to measure who we are based on who we see other people to be. And yet, this is where this main idea comes in. Scripture does this task of revealing the depths of who we are, and the more we understand who we really are in light of who God says we are, uh, the more gracious we really become as we look at the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we're going to break this up um, into, into specific sections, an exhortation, an explanation, an examination, and then execution as far as how are we going to do this this morning. Uh, family, this is so crucial to us being effective with the gospel, the good news that there is salvation in Christ alone. Uh, if we don't get this, 
we will be ineffective. And this is something I've said multiple times, and it's rooted in John chapter 13, which Jesus told his disciples, they will know you are my disciples by what? Your love for who? One another. Okay, we often stop short of that quote and say, well, they'll know you're my disciples by your love. Well, actually, it's way more specific and intentional than that. They will know that we are followers of Jesus by how we love one another. In other words, if I feel like I'm, <laughs> if I feel like I'm really hot stuff out and about in my faith walk, and yet I am in dissension with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I've missed the point. I've missed the boat. So it, the exhortation in this, where James begins in this, these two verses of chapter 4, is, is this very clear, everyone say it's clear. It's very clear. Do not... Speak evil against one another, brothers. Do not speak evil against one another. Now, what's really convicting about this is if we go back to the beginning of this letter in James chapter 1, we see in every single chapter so far, James has focused very intently, at least a portion of each chapter, on your words. So it's not hard to actually take a step back and go, "Eh, I think that these brothers and sisters had some word problems. Because if we if we flip back and we go to James 1, 19 through 20. He gives us other exhortation. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Then if you look over to chapter 2, verse 12. It says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. And then if we uh, go to chapter 3, there's a couple examples in chapter 3. The first one in verse 1 where he says, not many of you should become teachers because you're going to be judged more strictly. And then if you go down to the bottom of this, he speaks, or not to the bottom, but to verses uh, 10 through 12, he really confronts a double-mindedness of from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. From the, does a spring forth the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree... My brothers produce olives or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Uh, And it's this confrontation of, verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. And this, no, this this is not to be who we are. And now in chapter 4, do not speak evil against one another. In summary, here's here's what we see emphasized um, over and over in this. Uh, it's that when we allow our tongues to be undisciplined, we invite division and dissension into the church. When we allow our mouths and what we say to be undisciplined, not kept in check, we invite all of this division and dissension into the church. How often do we come into a place and we go, why is it so divided? Well, James already answered that in the beginning of chapter 4, where he said, 
What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within yourself? And so because of your own desires and your own unaccountability, we jump over to that and it, it starts amongst family. It starts amongst our church body and our church family. So if we remain undisciplined in that way, we should expect division, dissension, separation, fragmentation, all of these things that many of you have experienced within the life of the church. But we need to put a finger on it, and, and, and here's what we're prone to do, family, <laughs> and I'm with you. We are prone to see a problem and shift the blame. We are prone to see a problem and go, ah, I figured it out. And it's all about the person, right, that thought they were hot stuff and really is not. And, and we're over here going, but I'm good. It's not me. Uh, no, it's we. It's, it's not me, it's we. We together, if we don't keep this in check, cause these problems to arise. We are responsible. Um, and what, <laughs> what may be the reason that we speak evil against a brother? I think there's a lot of reasons that we like to give as excuses. These are just a handful I wrote down. Uh, they've wronged us. Probably one of the number one reasons that we speak evil against a brother or sister in Christ. They, they offended me. They've done wrong to me. I'm hurt by them. Well, you, you know what Scripture says we should do if that's the case? Go to them. Go to them and tell them how they've wronged you. I, don't just sit there. It's not going to resolve. It's not going to get better. But we've convinced ourselves that when someone wrongs us, you know, if they can't figure out that they've wronged me, so be it. My life is better without them anyway. I mean, have, have, you, heard, have you heard that? Have you experienced that? I have. <laughs> um, or maybe it's down the road. Uh, someone comes to you and uh, you, you strike up a conversation. You find out that for years they've been carrying something against you. You had no idea. You had no idea. Church family. We've got to stop this. It, it, it can end with us. It really can. If we have a problem or a perceived problem with someone else, just go and talk with them. And then the cool thing about the Word of God is if they are not receptive to that and they say, yeah, I meant to hurt you and I don't care. Well, then Matthew 18 comes in and we say, well, you know what? I'm Brother, sister, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you into accountability because this is not how we're supposed to live. And if we continue to live this way, we undermine the power of the gospel. We don't think that way. If I continue to just live in division and dissension, I undermine the very power of the gospel evidenced by unity and community. We have to think about these things. Maybe it's that, (laughs) here we go, another reason we may speak evil against a brother. I don't like them. This one is really just your own fault, okay? It really is. I just don't, I just don't like them. As a, well, then maybe you need to spend some more time with them. Or just acknowledge that that's a really lame excuse to speak evil against someone. Okay? Um, here's another one that's probably more direct and convicting. We want to make ourselves feel better. 
I'm, I'm down in the dumps and I all of a sudden don't feel like my life is as bad when I speak evil against someone else who I see his life is worse than mine. Makes me feel better. Or maybe it's just that we crave the attention that juicy information gets us. Power and control. Whatever the reason is, there's a very clear exhortation here. Don't do it. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now, the explanation, okay, um, why should I not speak evil against a brother? And here's the explanation he gives. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, I was thinking about a way to illustrate this, and uh, we'll see how you guys do. So I'm going to show you two different pictures, and I want to see if I've predicted correctly. When you see these images, I want you to tell me uh, what you do when you see this picture, okay? Tell me, just tell me what you do when you see this picture. Let's be honest. Ignore. I heard that, right? How many of you are like 60? Now, now hold on. How many of you are 55? Wow, like hardly. So there's a lot of you that didn't raise your hand when I said 60. How many of you are like 65? Oh, thank you for your honesty. Okay. How many of you are like 62? Some of you. Okay, so here's my. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you another picture. Okay, and I want you to do the same thing. Okay, here we go. Now, all right. Here, honest question. How many of you? How many of you just by habit put your seatbelt on when you get in the car? Okay. How many of you just do it because it shuts the annoying dinging off in your vehicle? <laughs> Okay, all right. Now, here's, here's why I put these up here. What am I saying about myself and those laws when I act in that way? And, and that's the wrestling question, okay? When I, when I see a posted law and I choose of my own will to do my own thing, what am I saying about myself and about the lawmaker? Right, exactly, exactly. When I all of a sudden come up with my own standards, I say the standards that are in place are wrong. And whenever we come to this, exhortation of don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. What is he saying? He's saying, if you intentionally go out of your way to cast unbiblical judgment upon your brother or sister in Christ, then you are saying two things. Okay? You are saying two things. You are saying, number one, um, God, my standard is better than yours. 
And number two, you're saying to yourself, self, you are wiser than God. And the emphasis here, coming back to this place of saying, if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. There is only one. And it is God. He's the one who establishes what this should look like. Now, we in our modern culture have made the mistake of taking pastors like this and going to people, people in the world, looking in, and, and, and there's this phrase, right? You, you kind of know what I'm talking about. What is that phrase that's said? Don't judge me. You can't judge me. God will judge me. Every time someone says, says that to me, I go, that should terrify you. Right? You can't judge me. God will judge me. Okay, that's a bigger deal. Like, you just unpacked your own fallacy here and laid it in front of me. That's exactly my... And, and so here's, brothers and sisters, there is a difference, everyone say difference, between judgment and accountability. Okay? And here's where we see that. Here's one example of this. In 1 Corinthians 5, there's this issue in the church. And this issue in the church is specifically an issue where there is this man who is amongst the people who's just walking and living in sexual immorality. And, and, and nobody's doing anything about it. They're just going about their business. And Paul very strongly exhorts the people to remove this man from among their midst. And he goes further to say, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole. If we're really going to be concerned about the purity of the bride of Christ, the church, then we need to take action when there is someone living amongst us who is in blatant sin and doesn't care. And so look at what it says. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Oh, well, wait a minute. God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. What is this saying? Because James, it says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And yet Paul's over here saying, uh, you judge those inside the church. What is the difference? The difference is, what is the rubric, church family? What is the rubric by which we're going to judge each other? If I come to each one of you and I decide, you know what? I have written a new list of Pastor Matt's rules. And uh, this is my expectations for you. Here they are. Um, I might even throw some scripture out there at you and say, you know what? You need to do this. If I start to see you through my own lens instead of through the lens that God has already given us, I am judging you wrongly. I have now created a new standard and said, uh, God, your standard isn't good enough. Or, uh, I really don't like what your standard implies, so I'm going to make my own standard. And we can go both ways in this, church family. We can create stricter standards, or we can go the other way. And we can create looser standards where, well, we just don't care. Either way, if we do not seek to hold one another accountable in the way God's Word has called us to, then we say to God, your 
way is not good enough. And we say to ourselves, uh, I know better. I know better. Biblical accountability is rooted in a community of people seeking God's way together. I'm going to say that again. This is so crucial to us. Being who God's called us to be, family. Biblical accountability is rooted in a community of people seeking God's way together. Unbiblical judgment is about an individual or a group of people who seek to hold people captive by their own opinions or ideas. Where do we have a tendency to hold people captive by our own ideas? Now there's a difference between my own ideas and God's Word. If I hold someone accountable rooted in what God's Word has called us to, that is not wrong judgment. And we need not be a people who says, oh, we can't judge other people. Uh, No, actually, we, we should judge each other the way that God has called us to in His Word. We should hold each other accountable by God's standard. Now, here's, here's a really direct way to test this in our own lives. I will never have the ability to point the finger at someone and say, you are condemned to hell. In the same way, I will never have the ability to point to any one of you and say, I can guarantee your place in eternity with God. I can't. Why? Because the only person who knows the condition of someone's heart is God himself. So what do we do then? We proclaim the truth. We preach the gospel. We continue to emphasize there is salvation in no one else but Christ. There is one way. And then we pray earnestly, fervently, that God would root out wickedness in in myself and in each person I am in community with, that we might be the purest bride awaiting the return of our Savior for His glory, not our own. Now this brings us to a personal crossroads. Who do we think we are? Who do we really think we are? And remember, the main idea, the more we're aware of our own hearts, the more gracious we become towards others. Who do we think we are? And... This starts this need to examine ourselves. Understanding if I judge the law of God, in other words, if I pick it apart and decide what I'm going to follow and what I'm going to not, I'm no longer someone who's doing and walking in obedience to God. Instead, I'm just judging it. Understanding that there is one lawgiver and judge in all of this, who do we think we are? And there's a couple of categories. Uh, do we think we're a know-it-all? Do we have it all figured out? Uh, church family, this can go beyond our spiritual lives into every other facet of our being. Uh, the person who is proud is going to say, I've got this figured out. Uh, who do we think we are? Do we think we're put together? That we're, we, we've, got, we've got our stuff in order? Or maybe we just think we need to look like we have our stuff in order. Because those are two different things. Who do we think we are? Uh, Do we think we're mostly good? If you ask a majority of people, uh, if they die today, where would they go? Uh, 
most people would say, uh, I'll go to heaven. And if you ask them why, the number one response that most people will give you is, well, I, I'm mostly good. I really, I, I, think, I think the good I've done in my life outweighs the bad. So I, I'm mostly good. Who, who do we think we are? There's a, a second question that should follow this, who do we think we are? Um, and it, it's the question of who, who am I really? Who, who I really am? And this is where we have need to look at what the Bible says. Who, who am I really? Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Therefore do not become partners with them, them being the darkness. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If we go to Romans chapter 3, it says, For all have sinned. Not some of us, all of us. And in so doing, fallen short of God's holiness, His glory. We've fallen short of the glory of God. To, to sin is to miss the mark. And we picture that target. And so often, when we ask, who do we think we are? Well, I'm better than that guy. You know, my arrow's a little bit closer, I think, to the bullseye than his. It doesn't matter. If you've missed the bullseye, you've missed the mark. And if you've missed the mark, you're separated from God. End of story. So when I answer the question, who am I really? Oh, that's not good news, family. I am a selfish person who is very prone to do my own thing, in my own way, in my own time. And naturally speaking, I want to care about myself first before I ever care about anyone else. That's who we are. And it leaves us in this place of, what now? And that's where Romans 5 comes in. God showed His love to us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ died for the ungodly. Be, do you hear that? Christ died for who? The ungodly. Sinners. You know what this means? The person who says, you know what, I think I'm mostly good. Well, I'm sorry, then Christ didn't die for you. Because He came for those who have no way to earn their way to God. Do you, you get that? If I say in and of myself, I am enough. If I'm enough, then I have no need of Christ. Then I have no need of salvation because I've saved myself. And yet the emphasis of the gospel, the good news in light of the bad news. The bad news is you can't save yourself. You can't do it. But God has made a way where there was no way. In Christ Jesus, there is hope and renewal. And so then the summary is who I really am. I am a sinner who deserves death, saved by grace, free, unashamed servant of Christ. In Christ, I'm liberated and set free from these things. But family, we return ourselves to a place of bondage over and over and over and over again. And a place of bondage of our own making. 
And we do things like this and speak evil against each other because instead of us all having our eyes fixated on Christ, we're, we're distracted by each other. And instead of marching into the battle arm in arm, looking at the enemy, we're all looking at each other and fighting and bickering. The enemy's still coming. And we're, we're scattered. We're scattered across the battlefield. What would happen if we all recognized who we really are in our sin and yet who we are in Christ? What would change? And that's where Scripture says the gates of hell will not prevail. But we invite division and dissension when we speak evil against one another. So what should we do? The execution side of this. How do we live this out? And I'm going to give this to, I'm going to give these to you kind of in reverse order as we lead up to reflecting on our own lives and taking communion together because this all should emphasize these truths. When we, when we come to the Lord's table, the emphasis is meant to be what unifies us. What brings us together? What is the focus that causes us to walk boldly as we're called to in Christ? Uh, it's, it's that I am only saved through the blood of Christ. I'm only cleansed through Him. There's no other way. And as I look around, my brothers and sisters, as we, when we take communion together, it's meant to be a reminder to each and every one of us, like, wow, I'm not alone. In, in the depletion of my flesh, in my need for salvation, I'm not alone. That's why when we come to the Lord's table, the, the Lord's table, I say, this is for those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And if someone's uncertain if they're a follower of Jesus, don't take this because in so doing, you're being dishonest before the Lord and with your brothers and sisters to say, hey, I'm with you. And if, you're, if, if you don't even know if you want to follow Jesus, then you're not. You're, you're not yet. We want you to be, okay? <laughs> we want you to experience the life-giving hope that is only found in Christ. We want you to experience freedom from the things that tie us to the world, the bondage that it puts us in. Liberated to live freely for what Christ has called us to. But here's three, three ways that we can put this into practice. Number one, leave the final judgment making and rule giving to God. If you, if you want to know how to hold one another accountable, read your Bible. Sit with people who have sought to walk a life of faith for years and ask them good questions. Don't just, uh, family, don't just depend on what someone else at some other time in your life has told you. Unless what they've told you is found in Scripture. Okay, don't 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 walk out of here and go, hey, you know what? I'm going to live this way. And someone goes, well, why? Why are you going to live this way? And you go, oh, because Pastor Matt told me I should. No, stop that. Don't do that. If you're going to live a certain way, do it because God has commanded us to not because I told you to. There's a big difference. And here's the difference. There's going to come a day. When when I'm not on this earth. There's going to come a day. I don't know when that is. I pray to the Lord that He gives me many more years. I don't know that. If you put your faith in me, you're putting your faith in something fallible and prone to not be here. God is not that way. My 
prayer is that I could equip you to look to Him, not to me. Um, Secondly, call our brothers and sisters into accountability. Family, I can't, I cannot stress this enough. We have a responsibility to one another. And I'm going to be the first one to be honest and say, as, as your shepherd, I can't do it all. If you see a brother or sister walking or living in sin, I'm exhorting you to be the body of Christ and shepherd people back to Christ. And if you need help with knowing what that looks like, come talk with me. I would love to help equip you, as Ephesians 4.12 says. He's given pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And part of ministry is being accountable to one another. And the third thing is evaluate our own lives. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, it says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a what? I have a log in my face. Okay? It says in your eye, but I'm picturing a log. I'm like, it's going to be more than my eye. Like, I can't see. The emphasis is, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not that you just don't seek to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. It's that, let's start with ourselves. Let's start with us. And then let's trust the Lord in our process of becoming more like Jesus. Let's trust the Lord to help us know how to come alongside and call one another into biblical accountability. And in the meantime, let's be transparent about our struggles. Let's be honest about where we're struggling to walk this life and this journey. Because I wish I could say, when you come to faith, it's just a smooth climb to be more like Jesus. And it looks a lot more like some crazy hospital monitor. Okay? But what we should see over time is a gradual increase. That if you watch the trajectory, even though it's kind of all over the map, that we see a growth to become less like who we were and more like who God has called us to be. But it starts, it starts with Christ. And here's the thing, family. The more we're aware of where we're really at, the more it becomes so simple to look at one another and have deep compassion for each other. The simpler it becomes to come alongside someone struggling and say, I know what this feels like. I'm with you. I've been there. But know that you don't have to be here alone. We're, we're in this together. Now, if you reject that and you do your own thing, you have invited isolation on yourself. But let's do our part in seeking to try and come alongside people for the glory of God and the building up of the church. Amen? And this brings us really to this part of communion. And I'm going to ask the guys who are going to serve to go ahead and come up. And I'm not going to expound on this further because the emphasis is on what we've already talked about. That when we take communion, when we come to the Lord's table together, we do so to recognize this is what unites us as the body of Christ. It's that we're all sinners, deserving of death, and yet in the midst of that, in the midst of that, He has offered a way to cleanse us from our sin and to walk in forgiveness and in freedom. But it's only through the blood of Jesus and His resurrection. 
May we be reminded of that together, that this is what bonds us as the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we, as we recognize this truth now, be a people who unite together around this. Lord, may you, may you help us to wage war against the divisions and the dissensions that take place so frequently amongst the church. We would be a people who can move forward arm in arm in joy, knowing what we deserve and knowing what we've been given through Christ. Lord, renew our hope. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are just discouraged right now. Lord, that Isaiah, as Isaiah says, that you would lift them up on wings like eagles. They would run and not grow weary. They would walk and not faint. But that would be rooted in your strength, not our own. So Lord, humble us now as we reflect on these truths. I pray this in Jesus' name.